I encourage you this morning to turn to the gospel reading in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of the longest gospel in the scriptures. And the chapter declares from beginning to end that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's conquered our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the grave. He's trampled them and they've been defeated by the risen Christ. Now the passage preceding what was read this morning is the account of the women who go on that first Easter morning with their spices only to find the tomb empty and angels asking them, why do you seek the living among the dead? They go back to tell the disciples. The disciples think this is some sort of idle tale. They check it out and indeed they don't find either Jesus or the angels at the tomb. And then in the last part of Luke, after our passage, we have the account of Jesus on that first Easter day having a dinner meal with the disciples. And then sandwiched between these two accounts is our account, which is commonly known as the Emmaus Road narrative. And there are about 10 or 11 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus recorded in the scriptures, and our account here this morning is the most vivid and detailed account. Now, one of the things that we need to look at as we work our way through the passage this morning is that Jesus Christ has indeed risen from the dead. So we pick up in verse 13, and there's this man, Cleopas, and there are some scholars who think he may have actually been related to Jesus, and he's with an unnamed companion. It could have been his wife, could have been his son. We don't know, it doesn't say. But Cleopas and his traveling companion are making that seven-mile journey home from Jerusalem where they had just been to celebrate the Passover feast. They're making their way home across the rugged Judean terrain to a place called Emmaus, where we're just not sure where that is anymore. It's the third day, and yet after celebrating Passover, Jesus had been betrayed and crucified, and now they hear stories of an empty tomb. So as they're walking along, leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus, they're trying to figure out and process what all this means. What has this thing that has happened supposed to mean? So they're very discouraged. They're very disoriented. They're very confused. They just can't make sense of what's happened that preceding week or the reports now from the women. And yet, did you notice at the end of the gospel reading, these men who leave Emmaus so despondent, they end up at the end of the story skipping back to Jerusalem full of joy. Well, why the reversal? Why do we leave Jerusalem totally despondent and return hours later full of joy? Well, it's because they've met the risen Lord and they finally recognize him by the end of the story. And this is important for us to emphasize because there are scholars who will say, you know, when we read this account, we're not to read it as something that historically really happened. We're to read it as a, as a parable or a metaphor for the Christian life. This is how a Christian can go from despair to hope. 
as one scholar is, is um, fond of saying, Emmaus never happened, Emmaus always happened. This isn't historical, this is just the way things work in the Christian life. Now, I'm here to tell you that in the first century, if you were seeking to write a credible parable or metaphor, you would never have done some of the things that are written about here. It has the earmarks of eyewitness authenticity. For example, in the first century, women had a very low status. And so their testimony was not permissible in a court of either Roman law or Jewish law. So if you were trying to write a persuadable, plausible story about the resurrection of Jesus, you would never make the women the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. So the first point we want to see here is that Luke 24 declares from beginning to end that Jesus Christ indeed has risen from the dead. He's conquered sin, he's conquered death, and he's conquered the grave, and he's alive. Our English word gospel comes from the Greek word meaning good news. And dear friends, there's no good news in a crucified, dead, and buried Savior. Remember what Paul says in the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15? If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless and our faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, if this is just a parable or metaphor, I'm going to suggest to Father Paul that we close up shop right now, that you go home and do whatever you like to do when you suddenly find yourself with a little extra time on your hands, and I'll take an earlier flight back to Syracuse, and maybe I can be riding my horses before the sun sets tonight. But the good news of Luke 24 is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So these two are walking along, and Jesus joins them. And we're told in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In other words, their inability to recognize Jesus is a divine act. They probably think he's another pilgrim that's leaving Jerusalem and going home after celebrating the Passover. So Jesus asks them, you know, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And his question literally stops them dead in their tracks. And they say to him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? Basically, they ask Jesus, like, have you been living under a rock? And then what they do is they proceed to tell Jesus all about Jesus. Okay? And they say he was this mighty prophet. And he did these great and mighty deeds but their chief priests and rulers crucified him, put him to death. And then they say what are probably some of the saddest words in the English language. We had hoped. They had hoped. So I wonder as we come here today how you would finish that blank. We had hoped. What in life just hasn't quite worked out the way you had planned? Where have hopes been dashed? Where are you just sensing despair? Now for these disciples, they, they tell us, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. 
Now what that meant in their minds was that the Messiah would come and he'd overthrow that despised Roman rule, he'd restore the sovereignty of the nation, and he'd reestablish the Davidic kingdom. And when that didn't happen, their hopes were dashed. It's been three days, and not only that, they find out that the tomb is empty. Now, the second thing I want us to notice is that their physical inability to see Jesus, that he's the one walking along the road with them, is a reflection of a much deeper inability to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And Jesus sharply rebukes them for this. Look at what he says in verses 25 to 27. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, and Christ is just our English word for the uh, Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his, into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying these things that have happened were all foretold in the Old Testament. Why can't you see these things? The root of their trouble was their failure to accept what the Old Testament said would happen that the Messiah's suffering was part of God's plan from the beginning. Now, the notion of a suffering Messiah was simply incomprehensible to the various Jewish messianic expectations of the first century. And yet Jesus shows them that his suffering was a necessary part of God's plan to redeem the world. In fact, the very sufferings that led to their doubts were the means of salvation and the proof of Jesus's messiahship. They should have expected his death and resurrection because they were foretold in the Old Testament. So you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying to the disciples, the Old Testament is not primarily a book about moral improvement, relationships, finances, social action, end time predictions. He's saying the Old Testament is primarily a book about himself. Now, I've been in Texas less than 48 hours, and I've learned that in Texas we like to use a lot of superlatives. Uh, the biggest, the best, the greatest. So let me try this one out uh, for size. I'm from, I've worked in Pittsburgh for a couple decades. What NFL team has the most Super Bowl wins? Oh. <laughs> in, my, do they change so quickly. <laughs> we'll forget about game 10 last season. <laughs> Let me try another one out for size. And by the way, the Penguins aren't doing too bad either, are they? <laughs> so... This study that Jesus does for the disciples on the road to Emmaus is the best Old Testament study ever. Now, I'm an Old Testament professor, and I'd give a right arm to have been there hearing Jesus teach on the Old Testament. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't come and say when he's on the road with these disciples, hey, guys, I'm back. It's me. Look at the scars in my hands. 
Isn't it interesting that their eyes are kept from seeing him? And I wonder if it's because they would have been tempted to ground and root their faith in their experience with, of the risen Lord. But there's a problem when we ground and root our faith only in our experiences and our emotions. And that is that our experiences and our emotions vacillate all over the place. So what Jesus does here by giving them this Old Testament lesson is he's grounding their faith in God's word and telling us that the Old Testament is an abiding witness to his person and work. Don't you get the picture? Here they are walking along from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they're doing this, Jesus is walking them step by step through the Old Testament, showing them that the Old Testament is a book about himself. Now, how many here have, have seen the movie The Sixth Sense? And a movie some folks have seen? Okay. I want to use this, and this comes from one of my professors from many years ago, who used this as an example to show the glorious position we're in as New Testament believers. So if you've seen The Sixth Sense, you know, you go through this movie and there's all these things that don't quite make sense. And then at the end, Bruce Willis dies. So if you haven't seen it, Bruce Willis dies at the end. And then when you see it a second time, suddenly all these clues make sense oh, they really weren't talking to each other. Okay? And all these lights go on. And because you know the end of the story, you're able to go back and see the story in a much different light. And that's the glorious position we're in as New Testament believers. Jesus is telling us the Old Testament, it was all pointing to me. I'm here, I'm risen. Now go back and see how the Old Testament points to me. And it's not just a little passage here or there. I'm always paying attention to what's repeated in scripture because that was one of the ways that an author would emphasize things. And in verses 25 to 27, the word all is repeated three times. He says, you didn't, how foolish you are to, uh, to believe all that the prophets had said. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to interpret to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So there's a comprehensiveness to the way in which the Old Testament is a book about Jesus. It's not just a, a little prophecy here in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 or Micah 5 2, but the whole Old Testament is Christotelic. It points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so we want to make sure when we're reading, when we're studying, when we're teaching our Old Testament, that we're never doing it as if the cross hadn't occurred, because the Old Testament is a book about Jesus Christ. Now, a last thing to notice as we come to the end of the chapter is, is a principle that we see weave through the entire scripture, and that's the Emmanuel principle. Now, Emmanuel is simply a transliteration of the Hebrew word, God with us. So here's the picture, in starting at verse 28. They approach the village of Emmaus, and Jesus pretends that he's going on further, 
And they dissuade him saying, oh no, the hour is late, come and eat with me, and eat with us. And we have this beautiful picture of Jesus dining with Cleopas and this unnamed disciple. Here it is, the first day of the resurrection, the first day of the new creation, and what's Jesus doing? He's just dining with these two ordinary disciples. Jesus desires to have fellowship with his people. And so interestingly enough, even though he's the guest, he takes over the posture of host, and listen to these four verbs that are used. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And when he breaks the bread, what happens? They suddenly realize that they're in the presence of the risen Lord, and then Jesus vanishes. Takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives thanks. Certainly those are verbs we've heard before. The same verbs used in the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. The same verbs used in Luke 22 when they're celebrating the Passover feast before Jesus' crucifixion. And the same verbs that Luke will use several times later in his Acts of the Apostles. It's hard to miss the Eucharistic overtones here. In the breaking of the bread, Jesus reveals himself. And they realize that they've come face to face with the risen Lord. And then this earlier Bible study on the road to Emmaus begins to take on new meaning for them. And they both had the same experience when they declare, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Probably the most well-known um, account of this outside of scripture is John Wesley's own testimony. You know, John Wesley had been a missionary to what's now the state of Georgia, and he wasn't a believer. That's his own testimony. He was a minister of the gospel, a missionary, but he wasn't a believer in Christ. It was years after that, on May 24th, 1738, that he had this experience with God's word. Listen to what he says. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Has your heart ever been strangely warmed like our two disciples here on the road to Emmaus or John Wesley's testimony? Now, I know that for some here the answer is yes because I was with many of the women yesterday and together we just saw how in looking at the word, our hearts were warmed because we saw Jesus. That spirit-generated confirmation that we get that God's word is true and not only is it true, but it's relevant and it's significant for my life. Have you come to see Jesus in all of scripture? That moment of illumination when the pieces of the puzzle start fitting together. 
Now, maybe for some of you, just recently there's been this sort of burning inside when you hear scriptures being read or when you're thinking or talking about God's word. You know, Jesus shows up in our lives long before we recognize him. Perhaps Jesus is working in your heart today. So the story comes to an end on a note of joy. The bread is broken, they recognize Jesus, he vanishes from their sight, and even though it's late, at, late in the day, that's why they didn't want Jesus to go on, what do they do? They hightail it back to Jerusalem, wanting to break the news to the disciples, only to find that they already know that Jesus is arisen because he has, um, Peter has seen him. So joy. So we come today, again, perhaps thinking about dashed hopes, but as we come to the table, we realize that we serve a risen Savior, and he's promised to enable us to live in this life amongst the dashed hopes. So let's together now come and together celebrate the risen Savior whom we worship. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.